Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Built with Django podcast. Today, I have Corey Zhu on my on the podcast. And yeah, welcome, Corey. Yeah, thanks. Good to be here. So, very quick intro. See if you like that, Corey. And so, Corey is a humble, handsome, and a very likable Django developer who used to be a CDO at Dimagi and now works full time on his projects, which are SAS Pegasus, PlaceCardMe, ChatStats. I think it's recently been an edition of a repo story and some other fun projects that you can check out on his website that we'll put in the description, but I think it's corizu.com. Yeah. Again, welcome and thanks for coming. So the first question I'd like to start, if that's okay with you, is your background. On all the podcasts that you've been, when people ask you to talk about yourself and to tell you about the users, you start with, with how you went on a sabbatical and you decided to become an indie hacker. And it seems to be like your life is starting from there. But I think your role at CTO and as a CTO is also very interesting and probably is also a big part of your life and uh, the reason who, who you are now. So if that's okay with you, could you please tell our listeners and myself, how did you come to be to become a CTO at Dimagi and just maybe a quick intro into your life before before indie hacking? Yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah. So I, I started, I guess, getting into software development in college. I was at MIT and I graduated and I went to Oracle for a year. And I described that period of my life as like living in the movie office space. Like it was, it was just like very low stakes. I would work four hours a week or something like that. But it was like, like nobody, like I would finish my work and then I would just, I would tell my manager that I needed more work and then it would take them a few days to, to figure out what to do. And a year after a year of that, I was just bored and, and looking for something else. And a friend of mine, his name was Jonathan Jackson, who's the, the founder and CEO of Damagi. We were, we lived together in college and he was like starting this new thing. We are looking for coders, come and join. And so I jumped ship from Oracle. I went to, to a company, his company called Damagi at the time. It was basically like there were the two founders and, and an intern and me, there were like a few other people who came and went very quickly. But so the short answer of, or maybe the long short answer of, of how I became a CTO is that I joined a three-person company <laughs> and nice. one of them was the CEO. The other one was the CMO, chief medical officer, because we were in healthcare and then I became the CTO. So yeah, so that was in 2006. And then my sabbatical started in 2016. So for basically 10 years, I was... A part of that company, I the company was relatively successful. We, we didn't have any sort of rocket ship Silicon Valley growth or anything like that. But every year we added maybe 40% uh, growth. And so that went from three to four, four to six, six to nine. But then it starts going 10 to 15, 15 to 25. And it starts to yeah. get big. By the time I stepped down and went on sabbatical, the company itself was probably about 120 people. And my it was a tech company, the, the tech division was maybe something like 35 people or something. And so there was no, I just grew and learned in the role. I, I honestly, I could barely code when I first started uh, working. No, I had a computer science degree, but, but I had no professional experience. If I'm sure if I looked at the code that I wrote in those first few years mm. now, I would, I would laugh at how horrible I was. No, um, getting better. <laughs> but yeah, so for the first, maybe five to seven years, I was, it was a small team. So everyone was an individual contributor, jack of all trades. I was doing mostly coding. I was getting better at coding as well as like project management and communication and some of the softer skills. Cause we were, 
our company was, we were always like working for other organizations at that period. And then in the second half, it became a lot more like architecture design, management skills, organization building, sort of these like bigger picture stuff. That Because I, I, I also remember that you mentioned that you started learning Django and uh, because people who worked at Dimagi, they pushed into it. Yeah, that's a cool new thing. <laughs> Back when it was a new thing and let's use that. So with that in mind, would you say that you more learned from the people who joined in the sense of programming as opposed as, as opposed to otherwise around? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So when I first joined, we were most of the projects I was working on were a mix of Java and uh, C-sharp.net projects. And for those first four or five years, I was learning the most from our CEO, Jonathan Jackson, who hasn't touched code in, in probably <laughs> 10 years. But at the time, he was an excellent coder. And so... I learned just a lot of sort of general software engineering best practices and lessons and stuff from that. When we adopted Django in turn, like for, for most of our web applications, we were all learning it together, to be honest. There's a funny story, funny, I don't know if, it's, I don't know if the right, that's the right to use, but I, so my first project ever using Django, our company did a lot of work internationally. And so we were, we were going to Nigeria to, to help build a web-based SMS system to, to track the distribution of bed nets in, in Nigeria. So it's this random thing, we were partnering with UNICEF. And I remember I had, I read the book, Learning Python on the plane. I was going to do this big Django project. And I, I had literally like barely coded in Python before. And I had to like, when we got on site, I had to like keep the book hidden because <laughs> For I reference. Want everybody else to know that like, I didn't know Python very well. And then sometimes I would ask some dumb question or I'd, I'd write something in this unintuitive way. And people were like, why'd you do it that way? Instead of using a list comprehension or something like that. And I'd be like, what now? So it was, it was learning from peers. It was learning from partners that that particular project, there, there were a few UNICEF developers who were quite experienced and, and had already been working with Django for, for a fair amount, but mostly just learning on the job and doing my best not to mess up too much cool now we move on to your indie hacking journey and uh, recently you posted you published a post uh, about your about reaching the financial dependence as an indie hacker first of all congratulations on that it's a big achievement for sure and i i I, you on uh starting the journey thank you very much yeah i think i mentioned on twitter but i'm still gonna plug it in here that um actually about two years ago, it was in February, you posted about, you know, your goal of making $1. I don't think you started it back then. I think you just mentioned it, that that was a goal. And so it inspired me a little bit as well, in the sense that I was already trying to indie hack at that point, but I didn't have any specific goals. Like, yeah, I just need to earn. And then I saw this much simpler goal. Okay, we just need to take it one step at a time. And then, yeah, I decided to take that goal as well, make $1 in six months. And then it took me two years. And very recently, yes, as someone paid to hundred dollars for something that I offered on this website that we're doing the podcast for. So thank you very much for being the inspiration for me. And I think for uh, a lot of people, I, I don't think this podcast has a lot of listeners yet, but I'd say probably 80, 90% of people know you. So yeah, thanks for putting yourself out there, making blog posts and, and stuff like this. Actually, it's very interesting as well. I was listening to another podcast that you did and you mentioned that two of your heroes were Paul Graham and Tim Urban who are famously, obviously, all about writing. So that's uh, it's, it's fitting that uh, you also share with the world through writing. Actually, I had a question about that as well. Would you say, again, those two people are huge in writing, like in the last 10 years, I don't know how many words they published, probably some crazy amount. Would you say you're happy with how much you publish and share? Oh, interesting question. Maybe in terms of word counts, yes. In terms of quality, I think no. As you and, and others may know, like I, I, a lot... 
the overwhelming majority of my public writing is just takes the form of these just like monthly updates. So here's, here's how much money I made last month. Here's like what I was working on. Here's what I'm thinking about doing next. So it's, it's almost like an accountability live journal for anybody who wants like more of a behind the scenes perspective of what this thing is like instead of the highlight reel or, or whatever else you get from most places. But I think most, like most of what I write is, is very autobiographical and only interesting if you like know who I am and have been like paying attention to me for a while. And I do wish that I were better or was able to write more like salient, generalizable takeaways about about indie hacking, about coding, about... I think your last uh, last works were very influential, both in the, well, first of all, the JavaScript writings that you did for the Suspegasus blog. Some Stripe tutorials were also, at least for me, they were very useful. I think for JavaScript, it's been popular as well because you did uh, a, b- a bunch of talks for Django, um, Cohen and stuff like this. And also the one recent piece about Corona, about COVID was very big. Obviously, don't want to talk about it too much here, <laughs> not too much related, but it's still very curious how you mentioned yeah. that most of the, so you wrote a piece on COVID, very long piece, uh, where you shared, where you sh- shared your opinions about vaccination, stuff like this, and showed some vulnerability, I think uh, the word is. And you mentioned that the reception was mostly good. Is that still the case uh, today? And is it still being, do people still contact you about it? Or it's a uh, lie down a little bit, lie down. Yeah, I would say it's mostly that died down at this point. It's I still get the occasional comments or retweet or something like that. But it is yeah, it feels like the the internet is such that these things come quickly and then they go quickly yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and the world moves on. The, the overwhelming amount of feedback that I got was uh, was supportive and positive. I don't know where I would. It's a six thousand word thing, so you'd have yeah. to you'd have to like really want to get mad about something and and to, 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 to <laughs> yeah. maybe like. Uh, spit vitriol my way like you have to really yeah. care and it, it's so I think one of the points I was trying to make in it was that this is like a situation that deserves a lot of nuance and consideration and so it didn't trigger the the sort of reactive oh my god this person is some right-wing Trumpist or something yeah that, that yeah. can often come up with, with like a more strongly expressed opinion I promise I only have a couple more personal questions and I'll be getting into you know, <laughs> the knitting really of Django cool. and Python. I wasn't expecting and... to talk about COVID. But I... I tried to make it as short as possible, but I, I think it's a big part of your recent kind of online persona. Going back to the, the JavaScript thing, I, the, one, the one thing I'll say about writing there is like, I, I don't consider myself to be like a great writer by any, any means, but I'm, I'm definitely a great writer compared to the average software developer. And so that's been like a cheat code for me for marketing and things. It's just that I can talk about code in a way that's just like a little bit more accessible to to the average person yeah, uh, than sure. like a software developer who doesn't also write a lot can. And I think that's been one of the, one of my like secret weapons in terms of being able to like market, particularly Pegasus, which is a product that lives in the code space. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. So a couple more questions just out of curiosity. So I know that U.S. citizen, born in in U.S., Boston, and a little bit curious, how did you end up choosing to go to South Africa and yeah, why are you there right now? Yeah, it's a fluke. Basically, my now wife, girlfriend at the time, we were working together for Damagi in Boston and she was itching to live abroad for a bit. I was maybe on the fence, but liked the idea. And so we decided to move abroad, but neither of us wanted to quit our jobs. And Damagi had offices in three places. It was in New Delhi, India, Dakar, Senegal, and Cape Town, South Africa. And Delhi is a nice place. It's, I think the we didn't love the 
aspects of it. It was, there's a lot of pollution. It's, it's got a lot of bustle, whatever. Um, Dakar is also a very nice place. I don't speak French, which was a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we landed on Cape Town. And I, I think when we got here, we both probably thought we'd be here for a couple of years and then go back to the States. But for anyone who's been here knows Cape Town is like the world's like greatest kept secret. It's, it's beautiful. It's got mountains, it's got oceans, it's got wineries and restaurants and like a cool vibe. It's the cost of living is very low. The, the people are super friendly. And so we just two years became four years became six years. And at this point, yeah, we don't know how long we're here for or, or, or that's very cool. We'll go anywhere else. Thank you for updating us on the private to your life. Uh, now let's transition slowly into uh, your project and let's start with Sus Pegasus, your biggest project. And so can we start with a little bit the naming? How did you decide on the name? Oh, is it something uh, relating to something about Django ponies and horses? I don't know what's the, what's the issue there, but I, I know there's some sort of pony horse Pegasus thing going on, but... Yeah, exactly. So the pony is like the unofficial, I think, uh, mascot of Django. I, I don't know mm -hmm. if it's official or unofficial. And it, it was probably a bigger, maybe a bigger thing earlier on back when I was learning Django and five, 10 years ago, whatever. But yeah, so the, the idea behind Pegasus was like, oh, it's like Django, but with wings, like it's even, it was great. Nice. You can, you can run, but can you fly? That's, and so the, yeah, it was basically like, get your Django SaaS app higher and faster. Like your horse now has wings. Actually, I, I realized that I haven't even mentioned what SaaS Pegasus is for maybe someone who doesn't know. It's essentially a, I, I think you said it at one of the other podcasts as well. It's very, very nice putting it. If Django is a framework that has batteries included, then SaaS Pegasus is a framework that has extra batteries included for Django. <laughs> so it can help uh, developers get up and running with a lot of things that they would think is a hustle to set up, such as Stripe and maybe Celery for background tasks and uh, authentication and many things. And, and it's evolving. So that's what it one, yeah, Exactly. One, and, uh, Django. No, no, go ahead. No, Sorry, yeah. Ahead. I mean, just Django has, Django comes with a ton, but it does stop at a certain point and it's, so it's not going to do anything in terms of it, it's, it, intentionally tries to be unopinionated about your UI, your approach mm -hmm. to, you know, JavaScript and front-end development. It's not going to come with these sort of features that um, are maybe SaaS-specific, like teams and subscriptions and, and complicated user management and stuff, because Django can be used for anything, not just SaaS stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Pegasus is trying to, like, be Django, but for a more mm -hmm. specific niche with people who want to get started with a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes me think if, if it makes sense to build a SaaS, a Pegasus competitor where they focus, instead of SaaS, they focus on something else. But I, I don't think it's, uh, there are other kind of profitable, sustainable ways of doing, <laughs> I don't know, personal website, like internal, Pegasus or something. Internal homegrown. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One question that has been on my mind and then intrigued me is, in, I'm sure you've seen this at Dimagi and other companies that people work for that have multiple developers working on the project, you would generally write code, submit a pull request, and then someone would review your code. Does anyone review your code for suspects? The 300 some odd customers, I'll, I'll yeah. look at it. <laughs> uh, no, like no, nobody reviews my, nobody besides me reviews my code before it gets into Pegasus because the product is the code. My customers mm -hmm. will all see the code and then they'll send me feedback and sometimes they'll point out 
bugs or things that I did poorly or they'll, they'll talk about various things. So, yep. so that's my, that's currently my primary external feedback mechanism. I also do review all of my own code. So my development workflow is the same development workflow I did at Damagi. I work on branches, I submit pull requests, I review the pull requests. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's one part of habit and it's one part just like coding and reviewing are like different activities. And when you're coding, like sometimes you just want to get something working. And then when you're reviewing it, oh, why did I do that that way? I should, you know, I should go think that happens. And That's so true. I find building in mature, like I spent enough time doing software development in a mature organization to realize that a lot of these processes are um, still useful, even if you're a team of one. So, so I, yeah, I, I, I'll break up a piece of work into 20 different commits just because I'm in the habit of doing that and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, not all core practices are bad. Some are, in fact, very useful. And so when it comes to code quality, usually when it comes to indie hacking, People say, you don't care about tests. Don't do all this. Uh, you just have to care about stuff working and that's it. As long as it works for you, it's good. But for you, it's, it's a little bit different because your product is code. You want it to be best practice, good. And the reason why people say it should just work for you is because the only person using it is me. And so, I, first of all, I know it very well. I, I know the, all the gotchas of the code. I can fix it very quickly. But let's say if something goes wrong with your code people it's much harder for them to fix it and they have to come come to you and so you have to think about abstractionalizing so it works for everyone do you just lean on lean in on your experience of a developer or you still when you develop I'm not sure exactly how to phrase the question but what i'm getting at is that how do you ensure that it's best practices how do you know where how do you know where you don't know um if you're going doing the best yeah. thing possible that's no, it's a really good question. It's a it's a really hard thing, and it's something I wrestle with a lot. Um, but yeah, at, uh, on first first line of defense is just trusting my own instincts. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I, by the time I was my last few years at Demagi, I was spending probably five times as much time and energy reviewing other people's code, helping them, than I was writing my own code. So I like I've learned like. When I started working, even on my first project, even when it wasn't had no intentions of anyone else looking at the code, I still wrote the code as if I, as good as well as I can. Yeah, I, I try not to take shortcuts. I, I just I've been around long enough to know that any shortcut you take is just going to cost you down the line. So that was like a decent foundation. But you're right that like with Pegasus specifically, it was it was honestly the the hardest part was declaring the MVP. Because when you're looking at your code, all the shortcuts you've taken and all the design decisions that you like labored over and weren't sure whether you made the right one and all those things. And so like for a long time, I was just like, I didn't want to release Pegasus because I was worried that people would look at the code and be like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And so it was a big like mental, I don't know, like a, like a confidence, an exercise in being confident enough to, to put my own code out there and not have it be judged poorly by other people. And so it's always a, it's always a trade-off, right? And there are people who are like code purists and everything must have the most beautiful architecture and every <laughs> class must have hundred percent test coverage and be perfectly linted and typed and whatever else. And, and then there's people who won't do any of that and don't even, they, you know, don't even like space consistently or something. And somewhere between those things is where I sit and like, my personal philosophy is write the best code you can, but not at the expense of achieving the business goal. And so no 
Pegasus feature that comes out, obviously no, no code will ever be perfect, but no, no Pegasus feature that comes out will ever be at the level of code quality, like design quality, abstraction, whatever else that, that I would prefer. Yeah. Um, and at some point I just have to make a trade-off of this thing works. It's going to help a lot of people. It's pretty good. I, I think the code is pretty good. I think that the feature is pretty good. I'm going to ship it. I'm going to move on to something else because like it's diminishing returns from here on to like make this thing perfect. Yeah. And that's, that's like a constant, a constant like mental exercise that I'm just like doing with everything that I, that I work on and that I build. One, one, one thing I'll add is there are things that I'm confident about. Like I, I'm confident that I can write relatively like canonical, like Python and Django code that is reasonably like modular and split up and has tests and, and follows mostly best practices and, and, and that type of thing. There are places where I feel way less confident, like, you know, when I first started learning Vue and I was writing like some Vue.js, a Vue.js example for Pegasus. And it was, it was literally my first time like using Vue and I'm like, you know, am I doing this right? I have no idea. And for that stuff, I, I expect that the quality is lower. I also do have, there are members of the Pegasus community who are more knowledgeable than I am and all these different things. And so I do get a lot of good feedback. Hey, why didn't you use, you know, why didn't you use TypeScript instead of JavaScript? And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, is TypeScript good? And they're like, yes, TypeScript is good. Like, okay. That's not very useful feedback. That's just like uh, <laughs> normal people saying like, uh, why don't you use this? Why don't you use this? <laughs> yeah. Getting... Although, yeah, I think even J Python typing, I was a little skeptical of, but, but a lot of people that I respect. So no, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Types are pretty good. And then I started using that. Oh man, like how have I not been using this for so long? So it's, it is a good, like the, cause there's a Pegasus Slack community where there's 200 some odd Django developers who are all, most of them are, are indie hacking types. Some of them are, some of them work for companies or whatever else, but, but everybody's got the same goal of building these apps with, with Django and with Pegasus and is bringing different experiences and opinions to the table, but it's, it's a great place for me to get feedback about, oh, is this, do you think this feature is a good idea? Or how do you feel about types? How do you Very feel nice. about TypeScript? Which CSS framework do you like? And so it's nice because I can support them. They can support each other and we can, I can use it as a proving ground for like ideas or questions that I'm wrestling with. That is very nice. That I had this feeling lately that a lot of businesses, whatever their product or services, the community aspect of it being added on is always a, a good thing and i think i feel like a lot of people are doing this which is very, very good especially like with the smaller communities when you get people a little bit more passionate and a little bit more contributing because you can always get just a bunch of lurkers i think they're called something like that. let's move it a little bit onto a business perspective of SaaS pegasus and i think some of the biggest uh, not gains but rather increase in uh, users you had during your black friday deals am, am i right about that yeah for sure. And outside of that, how would you say you get, what's the source of most of your clients? Uh, it's, it's a mix for sure. I think top is SEO. And so I, yeah, I rank pretty well for things like Django boilerplate and SAS boilerplate and, and mm -hmm. the types of, if, so if someone knows that they want a boilerplate, then they, then they're likely to find me, especially yeah. if they want to use Python there. And then, then I basically just have a giant like awareness to, to sale funnel, I guess I would say. And so the way I generate awareness is through two avenues, I guess. One is through the Django community by writing, writing content about Django, working with Django and JavaScript or Django and Stripe or background tasks and other things. So, so basically every major feature in Pegasus could be one or more 
like blog posts. And mm -hmm. so what I do is I just take these things. I like think about them. I write up a, a really long comprehensive guide to how I've done it. And then I say, oh, by the way, here's this, I guess this thing that already has this for you and a bunch of other stuff. Maybe you want to go check that out. I, I do a similar thing with conference talks. And, and so that's in the Django community. And then there's also in the indie hacking community, I, I, kind of do regular updates on my, my revenue and my strategies I'm thinking through all that stuff. And so those two semi overlapping, but mostly distinct circles of people all become aware of me. Some of them get on the Pegasus email list and then, in, or they become Twitter followers or whatever else. And then I just give them updates about what's going on. Like, here's a new thing that's in Pegasus. Here's, you know, here's a new thing that I've been working on. I think there's like a, there's a long tail of people. And that, that was probably like at least, at least half of the, I should look closer at the actual data, but my guess is about half of the, the Black Friday people were people who had long been aware of me or long been aware of Pegasus. They were, they had seen regular updates. They had, it looked interesting. They were interested in trying it. And then like the Black Friday sale gave them an opportunity to purchase it. And so that's, yeah. Basically, I would agree like with that because I feel like I'm on the same uh, page with those people because I was this close to also uh, buying the license. And the only reason I didn't was because I knew that I'm probably not going to do any pro separate projects this year. Um, like uh, I have a couple of different thoughts about the things that I want to do this year. So I was like, okay, I'll leave it until next year. Maybe do another Black Friday <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's a double-edged sword that way if people will just, they're just waiting for the sale. But, um, yeah. but I that's true. You also mentioned at some point that you noticed that one of the clients, one of the uh, users of uh, SAS Pegasus was a person from a big corporation. Uh, we, we don't know what it is. <laughs> you have never mentioned okay. it. And, and I think that's fine. But yeah. have you, I know you gave it some thought. Did you find a, an interesting solution to the problem where you want to charge more from the people who are from a big corporations? No. No? <laughs> oh. Yeah. I think there's something there. I think I could play with legalese or I could play with different restrictions around like number of developers that are allowed to use it or there's different ways I could try and yeah. it, all of this is very it's impossible to enforce because once you have the code it can prevent you from copy pasting it and sending it to someone or something but I think a bigger corporations would look at the fine prints and presumably not want to violate the terms so I, I think I could do that I don't it's it's not like a interest it's not like an interesting problem for me to work on and so yes it makes sense it's probably yeah, yeah. not to worry about it and, and I'm, I'm making enough money from pegasus right now that i don't i don't feel the need to squeeze out every possible nickel and dime <laughs> that i can even out of these billion dollar companies that's a good position to be in so what do you say is the kind of roadmap for let's say five ten years for for sas pegasus are you thinking of actively improving it adding things to it or you at some point kind of want to reduce the amount of uh, time you work on it and then perhaps work on other things uh, that's a great question i have no idea um i think i like to think long term but i do it in i don't do it necessarily at the product level but yeah five ten years i think at some point there's a question of whether Pegasus will ever become more than a boilerplate that you download. And a lot of a lot of people who make similar products often end up building SaaS products in sort of adjacent spaces. So there's this guy, Chris Oliver, I think his name is, but he, he has I was going, I was just about to mention him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like something like that. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah so he's got a boilerplate called i think jumpstart rails it's it's mm -hmm. similar to pegasus but in the rails world but he also has a SaaS product that like lets you deploy your rails app to servers and he's got a bunch of stuff and so i, I think like when you make a boilerplate and when you have a community of people deploying django apps and building like you there is this sort of opportunity to to sell other stuff in the space that you have the audience right there you have the yeah. market feedback right there it's uh it's complicated because on the one hand like pegasus is a one-time sale mostly mostly model there is a there is like an annual upgrade if you don't get the unlimited version so i, I do get some recurring revenue that, that way but it's, it's mostly a one-time sale which means that that every month my income starts at zero and and randomly climbs up throughout the month to, to wherever it gets but that that so if some massive competitor came and, and took me out or if Django somehow decided that they wanted to add all of Pegasus features like into the Django core and all of a sudden Pegasus. Sure. Like, <laughs> like, like, like there's risk there that you would have less risk if you have subscription revenue and monthly mm -hmm. customers and everything else. I think that the thing that I personally love about Pegasus, it's, it's asynchronous. And what I mean by that is like, People download the code, they like work with the code. There's never gonna be like, oh, your my server is down because Pegasus did something wrong. And like I I can I feel a little bit bad about doing this, but I I could just not check my email for a month. And I'd have a handful of like annoyed customers who like had tried to like get in touch with me and ask me questions and I, I didn't respond to them. I'm, I'm usually very responsive. But I, I could do that and not worry that like the world was going to go on fire or something like that. So I never, I don't need like notifications on my phone. I don't need like a pager or anything like that. And the thing I like most about Pegasus is it, it affords me the flexibility to have whatever lifestyle that I want to have outside of Pegasus. Whereas if the more you build like, like mission critical software, the more you want to have dedicated support and certain expectations about how responsive you're going to be and um, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, I've actually, this is on my list of like articles I want to write sometime, but it's, I think there's a lot of criteria for what I am, which I say is like a solopreneur, but like a person who's working by themselves in terms of the types of products that you choose to build. And for me, like the aspect of you're never going to have to wake up in the middle of the night to like deal with this thing is like a very important, um, is an important one. And so I think if, if I did eventually get to the road where Pegasus is, has these other things that are like are mission critical for businesses or something like that, like, I think that also means I'd have to hire people and it would just take me to this bigger, more ambitious place, which I could imagine happening, but it's not like, it's not something that's like pulling at me. Back to the role of CTO, CEO. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like in there, done that. It's, I think for a lot of indie hackers, like, their goal is to grow this big company. Like I already had that job. Like I had the job that someone who like started a successful startup at five years later, like I already had that job. And I was like, no, that's not my goal. Like my goal is to be able to surf on a Tuesday and not worry about it. That's cool. That's cool. So I know that you, I don't know if you would agree, but I've heard maybe yourself say it, or maybe even Cortland from Hinda Hackers that you're more breadth over depth when it comes to projects and what you work on with, which work on. So probably not the case anymore since you most of your work is on SAS Pegasus right now, but any other projects that I know Place Card Me is a big part of your indie hacking journey. And I think it's pretty much what's worth uh, 
passive kind of Auto, right autopilot yeah. yeah 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 same with chat stats but i think you recently started working on repo story would you catch about and talk about this about for a moment how's the going yeah if it's as good as you expected well, yeah it was one of the one of the upsides and downsides of having a product that makes it easy to like build new SaaS applications is that you constantly want to just build new SaaS applications. And I can justify doing anything with, oh, I'll learn and incorporate it back into Pegasus. So it is, it's wonderful and it's, I guess, a little dangerous or something like that. But yeah, so no, repo story, it was, I was in a little bit of a rut and decided to just take a week off from everything I was doing and do something totally different. And so in that week, I ended up doing just a sprint to build this product to, to provide like analytics about code review. And so it still works. It, it only works for open source projects. And I was testing it on all the Damagi stuff because most of the work that Damagi does is open source. But yeah, so you can go to repostory.app, you can plug in an open source repo, and then you can see like how active it is, like the breakdown of pull requests and code review by, by person and, and how likely things are to get reviewed and merged and stuff. And it, I think it's a good product idea there. I, I later found like a bunch of competitors that, that do similar things. I think I was, my Google search terms weren't, weren't the right ones to use, but once I figured out mm -hmm. which terms to use, I, I like stumbled into a bunch of, so there's lots of other companies that do this type of thing. I think it, they target engineering managers who want to like view their team's velocity and see where, where their engineers are getting stuck in code review, or if, you know, ho hopefully they're not judging engineers quality based on how many pull requests they have open or something like that or not. But, but so I built this thing, I shipped it. And then I was like, I realized that the gap between what I had and like these other products that existed that were already doing this thing was so big that I would have completely lost sight of the original thing I did, like I wanted to do, which was just like, have some fun, learn, build another sense, yeah. learn some new things for Pegasus. And so I just, I didn't sunset it. I didn't kill it. I just left it there and I haven't touched it for basically since I mean, that week. Uh, it's good to have a break like this. <laughs> if you can call it a break, <laughs> yeah. really. But it, yeah, but I think it's good. I do feel it's important to keep, to keep building products or, or working on production products. There's this sort of Sean... Wang, is that his name? Swix? He has this thing called like the meta creator loop or something like that, which is where you're like a writer and then you up being a writer and then you like write about writing about being, but like eventually if you keep just like doing the meta content about, oh, like here's, mm -hmm. here's how I earned whatever, blah, 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 doing X. And then, then eventually you like, you're no longer doing the thing that you originally set out to do. And so I do worry about that with Pegasus. Whereas if I just keep building generic stuff that I think people want, I'll lose touch with the reality of this. These are the actual things that, that SaaS applications need and, and Maybe. The problems they run into and things like yeah. that. So I do strive to keep building both my own products as well as like, I, I will occasionally like Pegasus customers will ask me to help them either get an MVP going or, or add a feature or things like that. And it's always a good way to get some more like real world context back into the Pegasus code base. Do you have like a logbook or rather, I just don't know, just a list of ideas that maybe you have or you want to work on in the future or something like that? Like new products and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like new projects and products. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a Trello board for each project and then I have a Trello board of like new project ideas. And, it's always uh, good to have one in case you also like in a rut or just feeling creative or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Although it's also, I like having it and also it makes you realize how little time you have to like do all the things that you want to do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Unrelated Django question is, um, 
you ever feel like you want to learn maybe a new programming language or something like that, like in a different paradigm? Oh, like learning new programming languages? Because it's, it's different, building a different product with Django, it, it's different to what you're doing right now. But like building something different in a different language is like very different. So maybe like it's a, even a bigger mind switcher. Okay, think about that. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, my framework for technology stacks used to be like for anything serious, I would try to pick one new thing and then do everything else with the yeah. stuff that I That's smart. know. And so like with, with place guard me, like I knew Django, but I had never touched react. So like I built the front end in react. And so that's like my general. That's very smart. Very nice philosophy. Cause you want to be, you want to be efficient enough that you're like feeling good, but you also don't want to stagnate and be using some old tech that uh, nobody's touched in 20 years because like it's the only thing you've ever used. So that's yeah. a way to stay relevant. I doubt I would ever jump ship like out of, if I had like a web framework problem that needed an ORM, it's hard for me to imagine not using Django. And, and mm -hmm. likewise, if I didn't need an ORM, I've used Flask a fair amount. It's, I, I do really like Python. And so I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I just recently, I, I wanted to try learning Rust. I don't know what drives me, just a curiosity for trying different things, but it was very difficult, especially for a person who started with Python. You know, just everything makes sense, everything is really, really nice, but yeah. yeah. I've heard good things. I've also heard good yeah. things about Elixir. That's, oh yeah. But there's, there's so much you can learn because there's CSS frameworks, there's JavaScript frameworks, there's machine learning. There, there's so much stuff to learn even just sticking in uh, generally like a Python Django world. Yeah, um, that's true. I think we have uh, maybe five minutes. And since I did post on Twitter, if anyone has any questions, I would like to focus on that as well. So these uh, are very Django related. So like um, cool quality and stuff like this. The, this question comes, I feel like a, it's, it's a plug for people. <laughs> so this question comes from Ben Cleary. He asks, he would be interested to hear your opinion on where to put the business logic in Django. So for example, would you be storing business logic in, in models, like that models he calls, or are you doing some sort of utility file where you have any other auxiliary things there or any, like where do you keep query sets? So how do you think about business logic? Yeah, I, I don't have strong opinions on this one. I think it's a, I think there's pros and cons to both. I, I tend to, if, if business logic depends a lot on multiple, one or more model fields, and it's literally just like returning some other computed thing or something like that, I'll, that's the type of thing I, I'll tend to throw on the model for mm -hmm. sure. If it's pure like logic, let's like take in one thing and spit out another thing or that type of thing, then I'll tend to put it in more of a utility place or a well-named like module that describes the utilities are for. Yeah, I don't like having a thousand line models files. And I find that usually, I think if you have a lot of static methods or, or class methods on a model, that's often maybe a smell. Query set stuff would be an exception to that to that rule. But yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't have strong opinions. I, I think do go with whatever convention that could be you're working on has and yeah. don't, don't sweat it too much. Also, uh, like IDEs <laughs> make stuff like this so irrelevant, largely. It's like, you, it's not like you're ever just like, opening up code and just like reading from the top of the file to the bottom of the file. So it's or jump, jump to declaration. So once you learn how to navigate your ID, like 
a lot of these sort of like, where do I put something choices don't matter that much. It's, I don't know. It's somewhere like my ID tells me. That, <laughs> <but>. Yeah, <laughs> it's in there. Wherever my ID sends me. Wherever it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, a couple of questions from Jason Wallace. First, he asks, how does the relationship between Django projects and servers look like? I'm not sure what he means by that. Next one. Projects and servers. Yeah. How does the relationship between Django projects and servers look like? I'm assuming he means how do you deploy projects? That's what I would assume. Like yeah. Docker, maybe, I mean, my, or just push code, or... Yeah, it depends. I, I host several projects on a single on a single VM, essentially a, a Linode, uh, nice. which is like a DigitalOcean droplet. But that, that works fine for these kind of like small hobby projects, low stakes, and, and whatever else. Uh, on the flip side, like Demagi's Django app, I, I couldn't even say offhand, but my guess is that thing is running on order of magnitude, like at least 100 servers. KWS, something like yeah, yeah, exactly. And a bunch of web workers and redundancy and distributed databases and all that good stuff. It, it depends on your needs. I reckon like when Pegasus, this comes up a lot on Pegasus projects and I will, I'll often tell people to like, the first thing you should do is just, if you've ever deployed a production thing before, just do that. Because if yeah. you haven't, I, I usually recommend starting on a PaaS, like something like a Heroku, which is usually really straightforward, just like a couple of quick configs and, and Pegasus provides some tools to do this. So it's, it's even easier, but it's very quick to just have the thing there. And down the line, if you get, if you have a really big thing, then like Haruka can get quite expensive. And that's, I think part of their business model is to make it really easy to get up, up and running. But then once you scale and you actually like probably have money at that point, then you're locked in and start to pay them a lot. Yeah, but um, and if you're super cost sensitive, you can just host on a VPS and, and potentially even share it. For me, it was actually, I tried Heroku and then for some reason at the, at the time where I wasn't experienced, it didn't make sense to me at all. I could not get it to work on Heroku. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try DigitalOcean Droplet. And surprisingly, they had a couple of good blog posts and I made it work, again, surprisingly. But I'm very glad I went that route because I wouldn't say server management is a thing that I enjoy, but learning about it certainly was enjoyable. Not without annoyances, but, but still very fun. Yeah, Interesting the, one. the issue with that is just when things go wrong. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You, like when everything is going well on, on, a VP, on a VPS or VM, like it's great and it's like cheap and it just runs itself. And then you have to patch your kernel because there's a Ubuntu thing that just came out. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Here's another one interesting. So also from Jason Wallace, uh, do we have an abandon or and just drop down to pure SQL? Uh, very rarely. I, I haven't had to on most of my personal projects. I, I have written a, a lot of SQL alchemy code and code that it's, I've used it more for dynamic models. Mm. Um, and so if you like allow your own users to define their own data models, like Salesforce type of thing, then that Django ORM just doesn't really work for that at all. You're not going to have on class for each of your users yep. things and somehow like drop it into your code base or something like that, or, or, ge or generate that dynamically. Maybe you could, I don't know. But, so I've done it in that context, but rarely just with sort of like a normal Django model, trying to do a fancy join or optimize or something. I haven't run into too much. How do you handle backups in case of an accident? I'm assuming that takes it care for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. answer. Yeah, that's, that one is for me. Do you prefer class-based use or function-based use? I prefer function, although I acknowledge that class-based views are good for... I, I think they they let beginners be faster. And from that perspective, I think they, they have place in, in the Django world. But yeah, I just... It's um, like 
what the Python, the Zen of Python thing is explicit is better than implicit or, mm -hmm. and like simple is yeah. better than complex. Like it, yeah. like the class-based views feel complicated and you're always like digging through a class hierarchy to figure out where like particular pieces of I personality see. is running. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it makes Whereas sense. Like functional view, it's like the whole thing is right there, which I find very like much easier to reason with. That makes sense. I personally am very scared of functions, function-based views. I've been coding for, with Django maybe two years, and I still kind of <laughs> try to hack my way around the class-based views. <laughs> Even if something doesn't work, I'm like, no, there's no way I'm dropping the <laughs> to function-based views, except for the case with Stripe where you were helping me. It was more intuitive to do it that way. Anyway. It might just be what you're familiar with also. I That's I that's why the question is, what do you prefer? <laughs> and yeah. you clearly prefer <laughs> function-based views. <laughs> yeah. Class-based views didn't exist for the first like five years I was working on. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Like for people who... Actually, uh, the previous person I interviewed for, for this podcast, he also started uh, coding with Django when it, roughly the time when it was... Uh, published to the world but for some reason he is like very big on class based views. like i don't know yeah. maybe simplicity or it's, something it's, like that it's one of the it's one of the bigger ideological divides in the Django community yeah and yeah. there are yeah strong experienced experienced people with strong opinions on both sides which is interesting like that that, that means there must be like a real merit to either answer and it's um, that's, that's probably just a well, I think I, I asked basically every question. Well, I didn't ask every question on the sun. I still had a couple uh, in mind, but I'll leave them for the next time. <laughs> Hopefully they'll be. So thank you very much so much for joining. Is there anything you would like to say to the audience uh, or like how they can reach you or anything you want to plug in or? Oh, yeah, no, I think you did a good job. You can Google for all this stuff. Yeah, it's sasspegasus.com is Pegasus. And then Corey Zoo, Z-U-E dot com is where I like, like blog about my entrepreneurial um, journey and all that stuff. And I'm CZU on Twitter, which is where I do most of my social media thing. Uh, so. Thank you very much for joining and answering all the questions and sharing your experience and thoughts on various topics. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Built to Django podcast. Uh, if you liked it, please consider sharing it with your friends or giving it a good review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening and have a great day.